Uh, and the way that we found some success was uh, we found uh, in Phoenix, a lot of these properties have old grandfathered in zoning where they were like single family homes or small duplexes, but they were on large lots and they're zoned to be able to put more, more units on it. Welcome to the House Hacking Success Podcast, where you'll learn the path to free rent and financial freedom through real estate. Featuring your hosts, Brad Labrie and Drew Klingler. Welcome to House Hacking Success. I'm your host, Bradley Labrie, with my co-host, Drew. Drew, how you doing? Doing good. How you doing, Brad? Doing great, man. Today, we had Ciro on the show, who is super unique to all the other guests we've had. He grew up in the industry with his family, and he continues to invest with his family. So he got to sit in a lot of high-level meetings when he was a young kid and just digest everything that it is in the real estate industry and grow his mind. It was super cool. It was great. Uh, I think the coolest thing that stood out to me about Ciro was the fact that even though his dad was teaching him about real estate and he got to be a fly on the wall at those meetings, he still took it upon himself to learn about real estate on his own. Uh, reading books on his own, and he just recognized that opportunity at an early age. And I just thought that was a really cool thing. Yeah, and he's he's doing so many things at a high level now that he continues to still house hack. I mean, that's the theme, you know. Brandon Turner, David Green, all these big time real estate investors—they just continue to find a way to to live for free and pour all their money back into real estate to grow their businesses. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, still house hacking, and he probably doesn't have to, but he chooses to because he knows that the long term payoff is well worth it. So today we're going to talk about a lot of things, house hacking, his personal deals, but then we're going to dive into development, uh, zoning, you know, how he goes before zoning boards to to use developments on current property, uh, and then just kind of big picture stuff, things for real estate investors and house hackers, how you got to get clear on your goals. This was just such a thorough podcast. I know our listeners are going to love it. It's a good one. All right. Well, let's jump into the show, Drew. Hey, everyone. Real quick before we start the show, Brad wrote an amazing ebook that will teach you everything you need to know about house hacking and living rent-free. To get a free copy, text HOUSEHACK, all one word, to 22828. That's HOUSEHACK, all one word, to 22828 to get your free copy. Welcome to the show, Ciro. We're thrilled you're here. Thanks, guys. Very excited to be here. So you kind of have a unique background, uh, actually unique from all of our guests on the show. You come from a family that you were raised in real estate, right? You kind of, from my understanding, you started when you were 14 years old. Talk about that growing up in the industry, uh, understanding maybe things at 20 years old that most people don't realize until they're, you know, 40. Talk about the the pluses and the minuses of kind of growing up in a business like that. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say, I think 14 is when I probably started actually working it at pretty much since since day one. Um, I remember even when I was a kid before that, uh, going to some of my dad's properties and uh, kind of like seeing all the the tenants and different people talking to him. And he was like going through and collecting rent and doing everything. And I remember it was like, Dad, what are you doing? He was like, uh, we, we own this. Like we own this building. And I was like, whoa. It was like, <laughs> even as a kid, I was like, light bulb, this is what I want to do. So uh, I started actually with my dad here. Uh, so I started with him when I was 14. Um, he was flipping houses at the time. This was um, like probably 2002 to you know 2006. Um, so I started then, and I literally he took me to the flips he was working on, and he had his construction crews that he was running, and he gave me a gallon jug of water and a they were like gardener's gloves. I don't think he had actual work gloves for me at the time. Um, he gave me those, and he dropped me off. He said, "I'll pick you up in eight hours," and he paid me two bucks an hour. And I started from there. 
just kind of like doing every job and learning the really difficult parts of the business. Like, you know, I didn't get to see the fun investing part for like a few years. Um, so I started with that and over time, just, just kind of able to work my way up, uh, learn everything. And then as I got older, probably, you know, starting after 18, uh, through college, I just really learned everything I could about real estate. I think it was a really big advantage being able to start at a young age because the things that we're learning and I would read about in books, I would actually be able to go see it happen in real life. So like that props to my dad, he would literally take me to these meetings, like when he was negotiating or like going to close a deal or anything he was doing, like he would just take me and I wouldn't speak or anything, but I would just sit there and I would just listen. Like I try to absorb everything I could. So kind of the real world experience I think it was a huge advantage and not a lot of people are able to get at that age combined with like, I probably read like every real estate book you could. Uh, Cause I, like I, I saw the opportunity. Um, yeah. So that, you know, those two things together helped me really like when I started uh, investing myself right after college, I was able to really hit the ground running and kind of have a good strong foundation to build off of. And you almost have like a real life rich dad, Robert Kiyosaki story where, you know, which is so cool to me because I was never in any kind of meetings like that. But, you know, just sitting there being a you know fly on the wall, listening to these type of high level conversations has to be so cool as a young kid. Yeah. Yeah. And it was it was really motivating, too. So I kind of saw like uh, this is the potential that I could have and this is what I could do if I work hard. Uh, and I also saw all the work that it took to get there. So. Um, you know, it was just, yeah, a tremendous opportunity. And I, I tried to take advantage of it as much as I could. Awesome. I think it's really cool. You recognize that opportunity and dived in, decided to learn more about it outside of what your dad was teaching you, reading books on your own and stuff like that. Um, but could you tell us about your first duplex that you house hacked? Uh, how'd you find yeah. it and how did you finance it? Sure. So the, the first house hack was uh, here in Phoenix. Uh, I found it actually, this was, this was in 2015. So you actually could find properties on the MLS. Uh, I know today it's like impossible here, yeah. but uh, found that one on the MLS and um, it was in, you know, not, I wouldn't say the best area. Uh, it wasn't like dangerous or anything, but you know, not, not the area where ideally I would have been able to live in for the house hack, uh, but it, it had potential. And I knew just from market knowledge that, you know, I'd be able to collect my rents and it'd be safe. I wouldn't have too big of issues. So uh, that property, it was listed at the time. It was it was over overpriced. Um, it was it was like one hundred and forty thousand at the time. Like being able to buy properties for less than a hundred k a door for duplexes is like unheard of today. But yeah. you could do it then, and it was overpriced even then. Um, so that one, uh, we negotiated quite a bit. And what I ended up doing is at the inspection, uh, it had basically needed a complete roof replacement and oh, the sewer line and the water lines all the way out to the street needed to be replaced. So banked off the experience there and I knew to scope the sewers and scope the, the plumbing when you go to buy these properties. Uh, so I was able to find it. Uh, and I ended up getting a $20,000 deduction. So basically I hit them with, a, with my Binzer and the repair ask with the $20,000 repair credit to do those things. Uh, and he ended up threatening to cancel uh, and it was like a whole back and forth. Um, so we actually canceled the contract on him because I, I had seen through tax records. I think the guy paid like $40,000 for the property. So I knew he had room and he didn't have a mortgage. So I knew he, that he was just trying to get the best deal he could. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also knew that he was going to continue to have this issue over and over. It's like people who are 
buying $130,000 properties, they typically don't have the cash to spend 30 grand on top to fix it up. So uh, we canceled on it. And before it, like the paperwork even processed, the guy was back on the phone and, you know, oh, I changed my mind. Let's sell it. And we ended up, uh, I ended up buying it for, I think, 110,000. So at the time, it was, it was a big deal. I was, I think I was 24. Um, used an FHA owner occupy loan. So it was three and a half percent down. I think I spent a total of like eight, 8,000 to get into the property. It, it might have even been less. Uh, so I, I used, took advantage of that. And I actually had the only crazy friend that, that he was only guy crazy enough to live in this property with me. Uh, he lived in the second bedroom. So there were two, two ones on the duplex. Uh, he lived in the second bedroom. So he paid me rent. And I had a tenant that was in the, the back. I lived in the front and the tenant lived in the back unit. Uh, tenant lived in the back and they paid me rent. And after it was all said and done, I, I did have to fix up the property. So I had a good investment there. But mm -hmm. after it was all said and done, I think I actually profited like 75 bucks a month after everything, utilities, landscaping, pest control. Uh, yeah, I actually put money in my pocket every month at that deal. That, that's amazing. And and it's kind of the, you know, entrepreneurial bug. I mean, you we hear this often where people will just fill their bedrooms just out of instinct. You know, like maybe they don't you you did come from a real estate background, but a lot of people don't. They just, you know, they just find a way to live for free or make money on the deal. And that's super cool. Yeah. I mean, and be able to cut my housing expense right out of college was I mean, it. I can't even tell you enough how big that was for me to be able to save because I basically just took that money every month and put it in the bank. And that yeah. was what allowed me to really grow faster and invest in more deals. That's amazing. So talk about your second house hack, uh, which I think might be the one that you're in right now. Talk about that. How did you find yeah. that one? How did you fund it? Sure. Yeah, this is the house I'm in right now. So um, this is a, it's actually an interesting property. So it's called a, a Gemini property. Uh, basically, they're two single family detached houses on the same lot. So they're not like your traditional duplex. So there's a house in the front and then there's a house in the back that was probably built as like a guest house at some point over the years. Uh, so we bought that. I bought that in 2018. Another another property, this time good area, but the property needed work. Mm -hmm. So the front house actually looked really good. And that was a big draw as I only had to fix up really one of the two units. Uh, the back house was just an absolute mess. Uh, it it was unappealing. It had like these weird like arches in the front that it just blocked off all the light and it had the Saltillo tile and it just wasn't, it wasn't great. Uh, and the price the the seller was asking for, he was asking for a price that it was if the units were all fixed up and it was turnkey ready to go. Mm -hmm. uh, so there was a big struggle with that. Uh, I ended up negotiating with him. The course of this deal worked out probably over six to eight months because uh, there was a stubborn, I think the guy thought he was like the next Donald Trump. I don't know what this guy was, a real character. Um, so we went back and forth. The property fell out of contract twice with two other prospective buyers because uh, it went on the market and it just immediately got into multiple offer scenario and it was getting bid up. Um, but it continued to fall out for the same reason. The back house needed mm -hmm. too much work. Uh, but that's perfect for me with the construction background. We had the ability to fix it up ourselves for cheap yeah. where the people who were looking, this was more of like people who were looking to buy it, 
live in the front, put the back unit on Airbnb, like get a little extra cash flow. Mm-hmm. There was this was way too big of a challenge for them. Uh, so I knew I had that advantage. And eventually what we did was after the home fell out of contract the second time, we basically just called a guy every few months and like we would send a contract every few months. Uh, so eventually he said, okay, I've, I've had enough of this. Let me actually entertain this offer. And what I did to kind of give him the security of not backing out is actually offered the contract was as is. So I told him we won't even get another inspection. It, he, he actually sent us previous inspection reports from the eight that agent had. So I said, we won't even get another inspection. Uh, you, you're going to have a give us a bit of a discount. I think it, we ended up paying like 20, 20 ish thousand less than what he wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had the certainty and I gave him the certainty that we were going to close. Uh, so that kind of was, that's what made us stand out uh, and allowed us to do the deal. Uh, and that's and in that one, that's yeah. an important point, you know, uh, of, of contracts that maybe a lot of people probably don't realize. And a lot of reason why people are frustrated with maybe, you know, presenting FHA offers because there's so much to an FHA loan and where someone like you comes in a little bit less, but you give them certainty that you're going to close. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, you know, definitely a risk that I took, uh, but at property enough times and, and banking off the experience and expertise I had that we were able to, to make that deal work by doing that. And yeah, that, that made the difference and actually closed it. Awesome. Cool. Uh, could you tell us about the process of refinancing an FHA loan into a conventional investor loan? Yeah. Um, it's challenging and it requires a tremendous amount of patience. So uh, I also recommend, I know you guys have discussed on previous episodes, having a good relationship with a broker and kind of going until you find the right person. I happen to have a tremendous uh, broker who does invest himself. So he, he gets it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the process essentially, because I was able to improve the property, I had uh, like I, I forced equity. So by improving the property, I was able to uh, appreciate the value. So luckily I was able to refinance it into a conventional loan, just a typical uh, rental property loan with uh, 25, 20% equity. So the LTV, I think it ended up after the appraisal, I was about uh, 70% loan to value. Uh, so because I had the spread, it was easier to make it work. And they just, uh, the process, it probably took about two months. Um, but since they had done the loan, the same broker, done, uh, he did the original loan on this property for me. So it was easier because they were familiar. Um, it took about two months and I refinanced it actually recent. It was pretty recent. I think it was October. Uh, and I was able to cut, luckily interest rates dropped uh, in that year as well, yeah. quite a bit. So I was able to cut my payment. I think around four hundred dollars, uh, and because I had the equity now, I was able to drop off the PMI, and that was about one hundred and seventy bucks right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We get that question a lot, you know, like how, you know, can you do it? How can you do it? And it's, you know, it, it's a challenging process from the standpoint of you know the paperwork and the verifications, and sometimes, but it's also an easy process. You know, if you if you either force appreciate like you did, or you pay down the loan, you know, uh, it, it's not the end of the, you know, it's pretty easy to do if you get the right broker on your side, um, you know, from that standpoint. Now you took that first house hack and you actually took the profits and bought a 12 unit from my understanding, correct? Yes. Tell us about, tell us about that process. Um, and you know, how you're able to do that. Yeah, I sold, I sold that property. Uh, so I bought it in 2015, sold it in 2018. Uh, and the property, uh, I, I don't like to sell. I'd always hold if I can. Uh, but 
In this case, I thought the property just appreciated way too much for the area. The area wasn't really getting better, but the property more than doubled in value mm-hmm. in just a short time. Said, so, you know what? I don't, I don't, I don't think if there's a recession or if the market goes down, I don't think I'll get this price for quite a long time after that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I did decide to sell. Uh, and something really cool about that that I thought was I actually sold it to another person doing a house hack. Nice. So it, it like kind of came awesome. full circle. Uh, and I know uh, the tenant, I, I ran into the tenant uh, that I had in the other day and the person, they did move in and they're house hacking it. And I think they're doing pretty well too. Awesome. So kind of nice to, to see that. Yeah. Uh, but I, I did take that money uh, and we purchased a 12 unit uh, multifamily property here in Phoenix. Uh, this one was we actually had built a relationship from an investor my dad had worked with uh, prior. So he had bought a property that uh, this investor was selling. He was like a, a very wealthy San Francisco investor who he was a total absentee owner. The place was a, was a dump. Uh, he just wasn't putting money into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he sold a property to my dad and then uh, he was looking to sell this one. So because of that past experience, he was like, we were one of the first people who got the call. Um, so it was an off market deal. Uh, and this property, it was, I mean, some of these units, like they didn't even have doors on the cabinets. Like they were just like, it just open boxes. They're mm-hmm. in that bad, like, yeah. you know, extension yeah. cords running on the ceiling for lights and the whole deal. Um, however, it's in a really up and coming area in Phoenix. So we knew that the value was there in order to fix it up and get it to par. Um, also, it's a, a garden style property. So it's all single level uh, units. They're like about 900 square feet. So they actually feel like little houses. They have like little yards and they have in-unit washer dryer. So that I thought was unique. And we were able to offer a different product than everything else, which is like your traditional, you know, five, six story mid-rise here in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were, uh, we fixed those up. And uh, the first one we we're increasing the rents like 300 to 400 dollars a month for these units because uh, they were that 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 underutilized which is like kind of the strategy that we're going with in order to compete in this market is you can actually build 12 more units on the property wow. uh, because there's so much land and the zoning is right yeah we can we can without touching the existing 12 we can add 12 more and that's going to give us a total of 24 units for this property. Uh, and that's going to be where the real upside is, because uh, the property we bought now is you know, pretty close to market value. Uh, but when we build the 12, we're going to have a lot of uh, equity and a lot of spread there to be able to do that. And you're breaking ground on that pretty quick, uh, pretty quickly here, right? Am I understanding? That will, be, uh, that will be next year. We have another development that we're about to break ground on, which is kind of the same kind of the same situation. Uh, that one's going to be before. So, so, we're, so we're t- still tell small. us about these, you know, the developments you're within and then kind of the rest of the, your portfolio. Sure. Uh, so the, the philosophy that we had, uh, essentially, we're trying to stand out and be able to not have to compete. We're all the big kind of the big boys investors from, yeah. you know, out of state, you know, they're, they have deals that we could never compete on yeah. you know, capital wise. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we tried to go where they're not. Uh, and the way that we found some success was uh, we found uh, in Phoenix, a lot of these properties have old grandfathered in zoning where they were like single family homes or small duplexes, but they were on large lots and they're zoned to be able to put more, more units on it. Mm. So we try to find properties where uh, we can build more units or add to the property itself 
in order to do like a small development and get uh, a lot of uh, upside there. So the first one we did was a, it was a triplex actually. And somehow we found a way to put three more units on the property and get a total of six. Mm. Um, So that was really uh, successful. And it was something that no one else was looking at it in that way. I think we were probably the only people crazy enough to try it. Yeah. Uh, And, and it was, uh, we definitely struggled to make it happen. I mean, it, it was probably the hardest deal we've ever done by far. And it was one of the smaller ones. Was it was it objections from zoning or was it objection from the neighborhood? Like, what were some of the uh, things that you hit with that deal? A lot of it was the city. So yes. they they just couldn't wrap their head around putting new construction combined with existing units. It was just like it was too much for them. Yeah. Um, so big challenges there. Uh, we went back and forth so many different times, and uh, we were you know fighting with inspectors uh, and the whole thing. But yeah. uh, we kind of looked at it like the more we're struggling here to do this deal, the better upside it probably has. Yeah. So we were willing to trade our time and, and you know, basically having a headache every day to deal yeah. with this in order to make something happen that a lot of people just wouldn't even give the time of day who were bigger and more successful. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, there are, you know, all the bigger ones are going after these large, you know, um, you know, hundred unit, complexes or right. whatever with the big upside where you as a local uh investor that really knows your area knows the zoning and and is looking for deals like that i mean there's big big time opportunity zones like that for you sounds like yeah yeah i mean we're going to be doing uh we had two we did that first one and now we have uh, another one upcoming and then that 12 unit so we're going to have done a total of three in a, in a few years here uh, but yeah it's it's really kind of all about how are we able to compete and do deals in a market that is really oversaturated and you know everyone wants to buy these these small properties it's like how can we find a way to make deals work that most people aren't even able to do and able to look at yeah very cool so uh, you focus mostly on value add deals mm-hmm. uh, could you tell us a little bit about what you look for when you're uh, looking at a value add deal yeah so um, a part of it is what I was just described where we look for properties that have kind of untapped potential so whether we can build more on them or, you know, we can add parking, we can add storage units, really anything that uh, is we can look at in a unique way to find more value. So that's that's one part of it. I would also say uh, we look for, we kind of call it like the fringe areas where we're looking where a lot of the investments are already happening and like the areas are getting hot and you see, you know, cap rates compressing and rents rising quickly. So we'll try to identify like kind of what's next and we'll look for properties right there on the fringes. And, and hopefully, you know, we've been fortunate to be in a, a, you know, pretty much an appreciating market for like 10 years. Uh, hopefully the area catches up and then we're positioned to where we were able to get a deal at a lower price for what people now that the area is hot, like yeah. they're coming in and they're paying significantly more than what we had paid a few years before. Yeah. And that's a huge value add just right there component, you know. Where you're you're looking, you know, futuristically, and and then when when all these other outside investors uh, or people at least who didn't recognize it come in, uh, that's a big value add play. So yeah, so let's uh, transition a little bit to working with family. You know, you you you're a family run uh, business. Um, talk to people because a lot of people do have family members that you know. That's kind of the first ones they think about when when partnership is is brought up. You know, 
yeah. oh, you know, my dad or or my brother or or whatever, you know. But talk to uh, you know, what what to set, you know, there got to be boundaries, I'm sure. Um, there's got to be black and white because you don't want to take, you know, the business side of things to the dinner table at Thanksgiving. You know, you don't want to have those kind of, uh, you know, and, and it sounds like you guys do a great job of that. Talk to that if you would. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing that has allowed us to, you know, still have a strong family bond and still be close with each other despite working together frequently. Uh, we're really good. And, you know, I think it's because I saw uh, the success, like my dad worked with my grandfather before that. Um, so we kind of followed what they had learned. It really is you have to learn how to completely detach your work life and whatever you're working on in business from your family life. So we almost have like, it's almost like two entirely different uh, families we're working with, right? So we have like, I work with my dad in real estate and then I work with, I I go home and, you know, I go for Sunday dinner and I I hang out with him there and nothing that we, nothing that we do and the business side spills over into the family time. So So it's almost like- How is that? Like, you know, you guys have- done that because it's happened multiple times like how should somebody go about doing that to try and set up the same thing that you have yeah i mean it would probably start with having a conversation if you're going to go into business together and you're not previously doing it i would have a conversation and set clear boundaries of how we're going to communicate uh and kind of rules for how we can talk about business and when we put it aside and completely forget it no matter what's happening and we have our family time so like for us it was you know if we go to to the house, if I go over to my parents' house for Sunday dinner or, or whatever we're doing, we have a rule where we just don't talk business at the table. Um, and if you're not talking about it and you make that conscious decision to just, no matter what, you just don't do it, uh, then you can focus on, you know, nice having, you know, enjoying time with your family and, and yeah. you help keep it separately. But it, it's absolutely a challenge and it, it takes constant work. Uh, Cause like I said before, if things are going bad, it's, it's pretty tempting to start bringing that up. And then before you know it, you know, you're, you're fighting yeah. uh, and then your, your whole day is ruined. So yeah. yeah, it's constant work. Yeah. What would you uh, say you've learned the most in your investing journey? Uh, I've, I've learned a lot. Um, probably some of the biggest things I've learned. Uh, one is, is you have to have a tremendous amount of patience. So, you know, me coming in, seeing it from, you know, 14 or younger, out of college, I was, you know, young, coming in thinking I was going to take over real estate, you know, and in one year, I was going to have 100 doors. And that's kind of how people think like, oh, it's going to mm-hmm. be easy. I'm going to I'm going to go right to the top. Uh, but it, it takes a lot longer than you think. Um, so it, being patient in order to, to see through your vision and your strategy. Uh, but then the other thing I learned is you you need to be really confident in what you're doing. And you need to be sure in your vision for where you want to be and how you're going to get there and the plan for how you're going to make that happen. Uh, Cause I think what I was doing is, is kind of unconventional, like house hackers that that's not a, a normal thing to do. Right. Uh, you're, you're kind of crazy if you're, you're doing house hacking, you're doing yeah. a lot of this stuff. Um, so, I mean, I would have friends who come over and they're like, you live here. Like, why why <laughs> right. are you doing this? Right. And, um, you know, you got to be confident in what you're doing to kind of ignore that and block it out and, and really stick on your path. Uh, because people don't really, a lot of times they don't see the journey. Uh, they just see the end result and they're like, oh, wow, how'd you get there? It's like, well, you know, I was dealing with a lot of difficult things and, you know, uh, I was struggling for, for years while I was on my vision to get to where I wanted to end up. Yeah. 
That's such a key point because uh, you know you talk to people wanting a hundred doors uh, and to the yeah. fact that you really got to get clear with your vision because you know I see a lot of people they they you know think so, they want to get the hundred doors so badly that they'll go into the lowest price points to get you know whatever property they can just to buy property and get to a hundred units to yeah. where somebody like you got really clear on your goal you knew why you were house hacking right you wanted to grow this vision but you wanted to do it in the hot markets in your area you wanted to, you want to go into the up and coming areas you had a defined plan you weren't trying to chase uh, with some of the bigger you know um, out of state investors or corporations that were coming in you knew what you wanted and you weren't necessarily focused on you right. know getting as many units as possible you're trying to get the right units in the best areas that you possibly could and it you know that takes a lot of discipline to focus solely on your what you your, your vision rather than what everyone else's vision is absolutely and I think part of it was because uh, when I started I was really young so I, I think a lot of people look towards like uh, the model now, which, you know, the big buzzword is syndication, right? Everyone wants to syndicate multifamily. Uh, for me, I think I, I was kind of realistic enough to know that at 22, I wasn't going to be syndicating, you know, $10 million apartment deals. Uh, and anyone who was going to give me that kind of money, like, uh, I, I don't know if that would have been a smart thing to do at the time, yeah. right? <laughs> um, so I knew like I needed to focus on building a base and proving a track record first yeah. uh, and, and kind of learn and really get my hands dirty. Um, so that, that was my vision. And now in the future, if I do want to do those things, I'll have, you know, a nice foundation to build off of and, and a track record to, to kind of like uh, use to, to leverage that success. Yeah. And so you, you talked about buzzwords. Uh, syndication is one of them. There's a few of them. House hacking has sort of become a buzzword as well. Right. And so yeah. in your mind, like what separates uh, potential house hackers from those that actually do it? Sure. Um, I think a lot of it is just fear, especially when you're going to do your first deal. Uh, but the flip side of it, that's why I actually think a house hack is an amazing first deal because um, it's not just a real estate investment. Worst case scenario, you have a house that you can live in. Uh, and if you can just afford that house without the house hack and having people rent it out, you know, you're still, you know, everyone needs a place to live. So I think it, it does kind of reduce some of that fear. Um, but it's also just, I think a lot of people are looking for the perfect deal. And it just doesn't, a lot of times it just doesn't exist. So like everyone waits until they find a perfect thing and, you know, they find a property that's 90% there, but it has one little issue. Um, a lot of times that's where you just have to kind of pull the trigger uh, and, and make a deal work where, you know, you're just, you're not always going to find that, you know, that a plus deal. That's going to be the best thing ever. Yeah. And Craig Curlop came on the show and he was talking about in his Denver market, um, you know, now that he wrote the book and everything, a lot of people reaching out on house hacking. The frustrating thing with him is that they're all looking for this home run deal or right. they're looking to, you know, win the battle of like getting a lower price than the purchase price, whatever. And we were just talking to, you know, the fact that a lot of these listing prices are just so arbitrary. Like, you know, if the numbers work, like if you understand the market, if you num if you understand that the biggest ROI of house hacking is living for free and being able right. to save, you know, 30 or 40 percent or whatever it is that your uh, mortgage or rent payments are, you know, compared to your budget, um, you know, like that's those are the frustrating things for him and I. Well, we look at, man, there's so many different ways to, you know, get creative if your idea is to put as little down as possible. But, you know, the price or looking for a home run deal, you're not going to become a millionaire on your first deal. And I think a lot of people no. don't really realize that. Oh, completely agree. I mean, if you wait for all the stars to be aligned, you're just going to be waiting forever. It's just not going to happen. Uh, but also, I think that's where 
you know, I'm always trying to look for ways that I can compete and have my own edge uh, and stand out from, you know, the rest of like your standard deals. I think house hacking is one of those ways to do that. Because like you said, if if I'm able to get in a deal uh, where maybe for a regular investment, who's just going to buy it as a rental, you know, maybe the numbers aren't that great. Uh, but if I'm going to live in there and, and still make some cash flow on it, but then I can cut 40% of my living expenses away. I mean, what can you do with that money? Yeah. That's where I think the real potential lies and where house hackers have a bit of an edge over everybody else. Absolutely. And, and that's to your point. Like, that's the thing that I bring up most to people is the fact that like normal investors, A, they have to put, I mean, just abnormally more amount of money down. They have to put 20 or 25% down. They yeah. have to have reserves, bank require reserves. You know, a lot of people don't really understand all that part of it. But then they also have to cash flow from day one. You don't right. as a house hacker necessarily. I mean, it, it's not a bad thing, but like. Your biggest ROI, like we talk about, is the fact that you can cut your living expenses completely out. You know, that's that's mm-hmm. your real big return. And then when you move out, the property is going to cash flow, um, you know, even more. And so, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. And if you're spending like what, like six to eight months trying to find that home run deal, and maybe you do find that home run deal, but you just spent eight months looking for a deal that you could have been saving five hundred, a thousand dollars, whatever your mortgage or rent is. And, and there's a big opportunity cost there. Like like you said, get into a deal, save on that rent. If you're looking for the deal that's going to make you a million dollars, you know it's probably not out there right now. Uh, so find something, you know, hit a double instead of a home run. You know, at yeah, least you're there you you're, go. Yeah. you're out there doing it. Um, and you know, in my situation, I didn't expect a property to double, um, but it did. Uh, and then I was able to leverage that deal into something much larger, and then I was able to hit a home run there. So really, just by getting started, I think you never know where that journey is going to take you. Uh, but if you don't do anything at all, I mean, you, you know. Nothing will happen. Real quick with your long-term goals, like, you know, you got this family business. What are your long-term goals in real estate? Sure. So uh, we've, we've enjoyed developing a lot. So I would like to get to a point where we can develop a larger apartment complex. Uh, I would love to build, you know, 100 to 200 units, something that we can really own uh, and, and kind of live off of and build some generational wealth and be able to hand it down. So I would like to continue to get into developing. Uh, and also would continue uh, getting into multifamily deals. So right now we're doing, you know, kind of 12 really properties up to like 20, 30, 40 units. Um, but the next stage, that's where we want to start doing. Um, I would like to get like some more partners together um, and start really taking down larger properties. Uh, and I also would like to expand outside of the areas that we've lived in and know. So, you know, we know New York because we're from there and we know Phoenix because I live here now. Uh, but I think the challenge is learning how to scale that and to grow it on a larger level. Uh, and part of that is being able to diversify in other markets. Uh, so that's kind of on the horizon for what I'd like to do in the next you know, five to 10 years. Awesome. Very cool. So uh, we love to read books on the show. Uh, Brad and myself read a lot. Uh, you started reading about real estate at a very early age. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you tell us what your favorite business or mindset book is? Sure. Uh, so outside of, I, I was looking at my my library over here next to me and I uh, tried to find some different stuff. Um, so outside of like the rich dad, poor dad, uh, which is the, the great stuff that you know everyone should start with. Um, business books that I enjoyed, I have one here, it's called Zero to One. Yeah, it's by uh, Peter Thiel. Uh, I thought that was really good about building a business and building a startup. And it goes into a lot, the, kind of the work it takes to get there and uh, kind of finding your own niche and standing out in a market that's you know full of competition. So love that book from a business perspective, uh, you know, mindset perspective. And then uh, real estate wise, 
have two that I would probably recommend. Uh, one I think is, is kind of unique one. It's called Maverick Real Estate Investing. Uh, this one it talks about all really successful real estate investors. Um, you know, Sam Zell, uh, Donald Trump goes into a lot of their stories. Uh, what I found really interesting with it is a lot of the stories are very similar. Like you'll find a lot of common themes that every investor did to get successful. So, you know, I think you'll find a lot of it is it's not about like, you know, there are, there's luck involved, but the, the path is there for like how they became successful. Uh, so I loved hearing about those stories. Uh, also, the another book that I have, this one really, it, it's like, it's a metric book. So, you know, kind of boring. Uh, but it's important to be able to kind of talk the talk when it comes to, mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. metrics and ratios. Uh, it's called What Every Real Estate Investor Needs to Know About Cash Flow and 36 Other Key Financial Measures. So super exciting title, uh, but really important. So it goes in a cap rate, IRR, cash on cash return. So if you want to get started and you want to understand what people are saying, if you listen to podcasts and you hear all these uh, numbers flying around and ratios, good place to start to at least like get into it and learn. It's awesome. Zero to one is a book that I keep, I've never read it, uh, but oh, no? I keep hearing about people, people tell me, you know, I, I need to, I, I'm going to read it uh, now that you mentioned it again, but I've heard it's an incredible book. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's an inspiring book too. You know, he's a, a tech billionaire. He's one of the founders of PayPal. So, you know, knows his stuff, Yeah. Uh, but it, it, it's very different than your standard business book where it talks about how to be unique and how to stand out and like how to really leverage that to come up with a new idea and succeed quickly. So I yeah, really enjoyed that one. That's awesome. It's awesome. So Sarah, we, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, yeah. we, you know, we, your story is awesome. The fact that, you know, you grew up in a, in a real estate family, uh, you stuck with it, right? You got inspired from being around those conversations early in life. I know a lot of people can, uh, relate. And, and for me, I'm a little bit envious of you, you know, the fact that you had, you were in those kind of, uh, you know, meetings and, and you grew your vision and now you're developing and things like that. Where can people find out more about you and maybe reach out to you? Maybe they're in Phoenix, maybe they're in New York, where we actually have a lot of listeners from, from both those markets. Like where can people reach out to you and, and talk to you or maybe hey, get in touch with you? Absolutely. So um, I have, uh, I, I started trying to do a little bit of blogging and, and getting into that game. Uh, it's called millennialhousehacking.com. So you can reach out to me there. Uh, you know, there's a contact button, go straight to an email there. Uh, you can also email me at zero at millennialhousehacking.com. Yeah, feel free to email. Uh, I do get a few emails and I've actually met up with a few people um, through the website, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, I, I get a lot of networking through real estate investors there. Uh, I also, I wrote a little ebook. I saw uh, you guys have an ebook too. Um, I wrote a little ebook. It's called uh, Millennial House Hacking. Uh, it's on Amazon. I think it's like two bucks. Uh, it's, a, it's a cool read. It's like 70 pages. But, you know, it's it's a good one to get started. So you can check that out, too. Um, but, yeah, feel free. Uh, anyone can reach out, especially if you're in Phoenix, like to connect, uh, especially for uh, young millennials. I, I definitely can relate to them and, and talk about getting started at a young age. Yeah, we'll put all that in the show notes. Uh, but cool. that, that's awesome. And uh, I'll have to check out your book as well, because, you know, it's important to get you know, feedback from people that are actually doing it like you, people that are continuing to do it. You know, a lot of people get to a certain level and they stop or whatever, but uh, people like you, I mean, even we had uh, Craig on the show and he's like, man, literally all the top investors I know, they're still house hacking, you know, Brandon yeah. Turner, David Green. I mean, they might be doing a little bit more luxurious, but you know, the concept is still there. The fact that they can live for, for a lot less or, or maybe free uh, and just pour, you know, the rest of their money into building a, a sustainable real estate company. 
yeah, I, I don't plan on stopping. I'm just going to figure out how to how to do it at a next level and uh, get into better areas and better properties. But yeah, I'm I'm going to keep this going as long as I possibly can because it allows me to live a, a great life because uh, I'm eliminating you know 50 percent of my expenses. So yeah, definitely going to keep it going and uh, couldn't recommend more to anyone looking to house hack to to get started. Yeah, we really appreciate it. And it's a testament because like you said, people drop by even for Drew and I and and a lot of people we know and they just don't get it. You know, they're, they're like, why would you ever do that? You know, and and people at my work, I mean, I don't even tell people uh, that I do it anymore because, you know, their reactions uh, are just what that's ridiculous. Why would you not go buy the biggest house you possibly could? Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, and so it, it is a total different mindset and it's a testament, you know, house hack is a testament to people getting serious about their vision, not other people's vision. So uh, we yeah. genuinely appreciate you coming on. Oh, thank you guys. Yeah. Hey, appreciate the work you're doing. Talking about house hacking and, and spreading the word. Great yeah. to see uh, other people getting involved. Yeah. And we appreciate it. We're, we're, uh, we'll cross-reference you. We'll promote uh, the site and everything. And so, uh, cool. hey, we appreciate it. I know our audience got a lot from the show. So we appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Have a, have a great one. Uh, you Thanks, Cyril. Yeah. Thanks for listening. If you could do me a huge favor and go give us a five-star rating on iTunes, I would really appreciate it. It would really help us out. If we provided any value, please go do that. Otherwise, there's a lot of people who haven't subscribed, so go ahead and go subscribe and you'll get notifications when a new podcast episode is released. Thanks again, everyone. Have a great day.